0: Join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. Well, there you are. Welcome back to The Table. A few weeks ago, we introduced something new to The Table, appetizer episodes. We launched Season 3 with a few of my friends who shared their favorite appetizer. Today, I have a couple of more friends. Johnny Mount, who was our very first guest on our very first podcast back in 2019, and Jeff Gore. Who i hope to have to the table real soon let's hear what these guys have to say hello my name is john mount my favorite appetizer is the mac and cheese from the urban cookhouse in homewood alabama y'all come hi jeff gore here you know thinking about appetizers there's been a lot of good ones shared on here but i think of one that really comes to mind that Sometimes, you know, appetizers can almost be a meal in themselves. And, and one that I thought of under that category was the sweet chili shrimp at Red Lobster. You know, it's just lightly breaded shrimp fried and then covered and basted in a sauce that's just the right touch of sweet and spicy. And you know, it's sitting on a bed of green leaf lettuce. And if you just have a little bit of ranch dressing to dip that in on the side, you can make a meal out of it. The sweet chili shrimp at Red Lobster. Well, I don't know about you, but now I'm hungry. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Jeff. So today we have yet another appetizer episode. And throughout this season, we'll be bringing appetizers to the table from time to time in between our normal formats. Before I introduce today's word, I want to acknowledge my inspiration for these particular podcasts. About 25 years ago, I kept coming across an author quoted in many of the books I was reading, the author's name, Frederick Beekner. I bought one of Beakner's books and I learned firsthand why a lot of people were quoting him. He's one of my favorite authors, and of his many books, there are three that are very alike in style: peculiar treasures, wishful thinking, and whistling in the dark. In all three of these volumes, Buechner takes a single word or a person who appears in the Bible and he writes a few paragraphs or a single paragraph or sometimes just a sentence about that person or that word. And he gives it his own unique spin. And it's so insightful. About 10 years ago, I started collecting words off and on. And I've written about these words, sometimes a few paragraphs or a single paragraph or sometimes just a sentence. So Frederick Buechner and the Holy Spirit have inspired me with just another way to creatively present the wonderful truths of God. So thanks, Frederick, Mr. Bigner, And just so you know, I know, I am no Frederick Bigner, folks. He's a Pulitzer Prize nominee. I'm just a simple podcast guest. Or host. <laughs> Which brings us to today's word. Melancholy. Melancholy. I didn't know what it was, but I remember one of the first times I felt it, or perhaps it's better to say one of the first times I heard it. It was in the musical strains of Katie's theme from the movie soundtrack, The Sons of Katie Elder by Elmer Bernstein, which is a really odd thing for a 10-year-old boy to notice. I was 10 years old when I first saw The Sons of Katie Elder, and I want to play just a snippet of this theme that caught my attention 50 years ago. Did you catch how subtle that was? That was the first time I recall hearing the sound of melancholy. I've heard it thousands of times since then in the John Dunbar theme from Dances with Wolves, Forrest Gump, Toy Story. I hear it sometimes in some of my favorite music like with Andrew Peterson. Melancholy. It's the sounds of something lost, something risked, something true. It's like your soul is a harp and the Spirit of God breathes across your strings. Melancholy. Most people hear that word and want to shy away from it. It is too closely associated with desolation, despair, defeat, sorrow. But I don't see it that way. If misery held a tug-of-war contest, I believe the contest would be between two extremes. Between depression, which represents the negative side, and melancholy, which is more positive. Because melancholy is pulling towards hope, towards the good that ought to be. Now yes, it's the blues, but it is the lighter shade of blue. It yearns for something good, something pure, something yet to come. It's not nostalgia. It's not sentiment. Because what melancholy draws us towards is something we've never fully known. We believe in its existence. We perhaps have tasted its sweetness a few times. We know it's worth pursuing, not just for ourselves, but for everyone. Melancholy. Melancholy is the positive blues. It usually leaves a package of hope on your front doorstep. A blues package, both wrapped in and emanating hope. Melancholy. It's in the gentle, pining coo of the morning dove. There's one outside my window every morning at dawn in the trees behind my house. It aches and is comforted at the same time. Go figure. Melancholy. It's the lump in my throat, which is more and more prevalent with each passing season of life. For example, I sensed it yesterday in Sunday worship as my guitarist friend, Jimmy Baker, sang, This is Amazing Grace. I felt it in the presence of my children and their families last week in a variety of places. When we all sat down at our family's favorite restaurant, joti Garcia's in Fort Worth, Texas. Cheese enchiladas, uh, just such good food when we took the little ones to the park on Sunday, watching my oldest granddaughter scale a climbing wall. She's almost four. It was like, wow. Watching my only grandson, who's now walking, and I was seeing him walking for the very first time, take to the slides at the park over and over again, and then watching my youngest granddaughter, who just turned one, smile and wave all the time. And on and on I could go. At two baseball games, at a coffee shop, eating Thai food, eating pizza, just listening to the sound of one another's voices. Melancholy is the lump in my throat, and it doesn't take much for that lump to get there. If you've ever watched the television show Blue Bloods with Tom Selleck, which is about a family of cops fully committed to doing the right thing, biblical faith is all over that show, especially when they gather together for Sunday dinner. Almost every time without fail, I sit at the imaginary table of the Reagan family and my eyes brim with tears. Tears of hope. Tears of joy. Tears of longing. Tears of, yes, somebody gets it. Somebody understands what life is supposed to be about. To borrow a line from Alan Jackson's new song, there are things that matter and things that don't. I will weep for the things that matter. And I will pray for change for the things that don't. Melancholy. It's the longing for those things which are listed in the biblical book Philippians. Philippians 4, 8. It says, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things, in other words, put your mind's focus upon these things. Pitch your tent around the fresh, life-giving waters of these things. These springs. Long for these things. Yearn for these things. Are you picking up what God is laying down here? Melancholy. You hear it again in the leaning towards of the Book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11:1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I like the way the King James says it. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Greek word for substance or assurance actually means things put under or the foundation. Therefore, faith is the foundation of things hoped for. And faith is the foundation of the certainty of what we do not see. Faith is the foundation underneath the spiritual yearnings placed in our hearts by God. You hear this melancholic theme of faith in, of all places, the Old Testament book of Job. If you know the story, Job had it bad. He lost everyone in his family, except his wife, and everything he owned, and he finally lost his health in two terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Job suffered on the heavier side of the blues, on the depression side of the tug of war. His wife, who had also lost ten children all at once through death, she encourages Job to curse God and die, because she's grieving herself. Job has three friends show up. The first seven days, they don't say a word. And then every day after that, it's as if they came to kick a good man while he was down. In the midst of Job's suffering, in the midst of Job's vent towards God, he says something that absolutely astounds my mind. In Job 19, after he bottoms out at the false conclusion that God has backed out on him, and after he bemoans the apparent truth that everybody else walking around on the planet has bailed on him as well, Job says this, Job 19, verse 21 through 27. He says, Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. In other words, write this down. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Job speaks these words hundreds of years before Jesus came to walk upon the earth, before Jesus was crucified to die for Job's sin, for your sin, for my sin. Hundreds of years before Jesus came out of the grave on resurrection morning and defeated death forever. And yet Job, in dire straits, from the rock bottom of defeat said, "'I know my Redeemer lives.'" I know all that is wrong is going to be made right. I know all that is broken is going to be made whole. I know all that seems lost is going to find its way back home. Melancholy. It's a longing for what you know that you know that you know would come to fruition, will come to fruition. Melancholy. It's a gift. I hope you can see it that way. It's a gift. It is a continual call to lead us home, to our true home. And one last truth. I never saw this until about five or six months ago. I was looking at this word melancholy one day, and I was just staring at the word, and there it was right before me. The word melancholy ends... In holy. Holy. Well, there's today's word. I hope and pray it whets your appetite for more. Be right back here next Wednesday. Join us again next week. As you hear the sound party of redemption, your table is now available until then.